Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie. Welcome to the Mag Culture Podcast. I'm here at the Mag Culture shop where the days are getting shorter and the temperature dropping as we get used to London's tier two status of COVID lockdown. These are not the best of times, maybe, so let's lose ourselves in magazines for the next 45 minutes or so. On the contents page for this issue, we'll be meeting James Hyman and Tory Turk from the HiMag magazine archive to discuss their project and hear about their crowdfunding campaign. We'll also be hearing from Oriana Leckart of Kickstarter about recent successful magazine campaigns on that platform. And as usual, we'll be ending with a back issue, a look back at an old favourite magazine. First, though, an update on what's new here at MagCulture. As I mentioned, uh, we're here at the shop, uh, which remains open currently 11am to 6pm on weekdays. And it's been pretty busy recently. New issues are arriving every day. There's plenty of fresh stock and we'll be looking at a few of these with my guests um, shortly. One hangover from the summer of COVID is a number of delayed arrivals. And so the result is that there's a lot of goodies at the moment and November sees a slew of new favourites who will be all jostling for space here. Apartamento and Ordinary, to name a couple. Another is The Happy Reader, and our Instagram Live series continues on Tuesday the 27th October with Seb Amina, Editor-in-Chief of The Happy Reader, as issue 15 of that magazine is published. We now have an archive of 19 interviews that can be viewed on our Vimeo channel, so check them out. We're also in the middle of planning this year's Mag Culture Live. It takes place on the 18th and 19th of November, but more of that at the end of this podcast. In other news, um, some birthdays. Congratulations to ID, who are about to celebrate their 40th anniversary with their 361st edition. I bet they never thought they were going to last that long when they first began. And to a degree, it's the same with, the, with Anorak, the kids' magazine, which has just marched its 14th year. We recently interviewed the founder, Cathy Elmadellis, on the uh, journal, and she shared some great advice. It's a simple piece of advice, and that is this. The best advice I've ever received is the one I didn't agree with. It's not often we hear about bold new launches these days, but there are a couple coming down the line this autumn. First, Marvin Scott Jarrett, the man behind Raygun, Nylon and Blah Blah Blah, is launching a new magazine titled Marvin. Design-wise, it should be interesting. Having worked with David Carson on Raygun and then Chris Ashworth on Blah Blah Blah, this time Marvin has teamed up with Gary Kopke, known for his 90s work on Vibe magazine. Uh, and another launch is coming from Monocle, who've announced an addition to their ever-growing ever range of titles. Confect will be a new quarterly magazine aimed at the women's market. Apparently, the, uh, the female readership of the main magazine, Monocle, has been growing, so the, the, the new title looks to build on that. I've not seen anything yet, but they describe it as larger and glossier than the Monocle magazines to date. It'll also be the first magazine produced out of their new HQ in Zurich. So look out for the first edition of that in November and we hope to have a first look at it on the Mag Culture Journal very soon. And finally, two of our favourite magazine shops are seeing a change as Mark Robermond of Amsterdam's Athenaeum moves to Berlin to manage Do You Read Me? So to our guests, James Hyman and Tori Turk are two of the team from HiMag, the, the magazine archives, uh, that James launched in 2011. Yeah, correct. So welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for having us here. Love, lovely to have you both here. Before we catch up with your news, mm. sorry. I was just going to say, we're nearly celebrating a birthday. Oh, oh, wow. We're nearly at 10 years. Nearly at 10, I yeah. guess, and also, what, 35 years collecting. <laughs> so I've got my 35-year collecting birthday. Fantastic. Collecting magazines, yeah. Fantastic. And, um, well, we'll come to the numbers. But first of all, um, 
You've been having a look through the shelves here, picking out some mm. current magazines mm. that um, I'm sure some of these titles figure in your collection, but these are the current ones. So what have you picked out, James? So I picked out Interview, Believer and Creative Review. I mean, I was rushed for time running in here because we're in crowdfund mode that we'll get to later. Just so some snippety stuff, really. Um, the first one here from the sustainability issue from mm-hmm. Creative Review. And what got my interest was some work here from Hen Kim, I don't know if many people know her. You probably know her sort of designs that you see. There's a beautiful image here of sort of her eyes as taps gushing out water. Mm-hmm. Fascinating character. When she was sort of 17, she stopped talking. She was Obviously, there was some kind of trauma there. She expressed herself through her art. It talks about a lot of her work in this piece. And again, it just shows the speed of the world. This piece here talks about how she's got 870,000 Instagram followers. You see, I can't get rid of numbers. I just had a quick check. She's up 10,000. There you go. And the other little bit in here, which I do love, was a lovely six-page spread on the electronic uh, exhibition at the Design Museum. And it's on, it runs till February 2021. I urge everyone to go there. Have you been to see it? I have been to see it. We loaned them some lovely stuff, some enemies with Acid House and the face mm-hmm. and stuff to narrate the exhibition. But it is remarkable. It's superb. And one of the highlights of I don't think it's not a spoiler because you have to experience it, is basically the Chemical Brothers have got these collaborators called Smith and Lyle. And right at the end, there's these like mm-hmm. insane sort of pink mannequin dolls that you're in a room you're like in a rave it's they've created this really sort of trippy rave that you're in but yes i recommend that uh Mm -hmm. definitely go to that um exhibition it's superb uh, and it features there in Creative Review, yep. uh, which I, I must say, I think Creative Review is going from strength to strength at the moment. Amazing. It's some really good issues Absolutely. Recently. Look, i got to quickly say, whenever I come into mag culture, I have this wash of kind of, and wrestle, this emotional wrestle between <laughs> anxiety and trying to be zen. I want to live here. There is a photo I think I took lying on your floor, uh, getting yes. calm, but there is such anxiety because it's, it's that mad magazine, again, I often cite this, that kid who can only afford, he's got 5p and he buys a little firework and he, and he throws it into the whole shop so the whole shop goes alight at the fire because he, he can't have everything. I want everything in this shop. It's just, it's too good. It's <laughs> lovely to hear, but don't burn it down. <laughs> never, 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 never. Okay, is it Tory? I'm going to have to give you therapy after we leave. Yeah. Like, no, but it's lovely. It's beautiful. Therapy. It's relaxing in here, but it's also like, whoa, look yeah. at all these magazines. Because there's always new titles as well that you've so never heard many, of. and it's So just, many, so yeah. many. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Tori, uh, let, let's, let, oh, let's move pick to one of yours. Yeah. Okay, so I saw actually on the board outside when I was walking up the modern house, and I've recently became obsessed with the website, and I didn't know there was a magazine, but I uh-huh. realised it's just launched. And obviously, I mean, I'm sort of, you know, curious, love looking at pictures of other people's houses, other people's bookshelves, other people's record places. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, I mean, it's a beautiful magazine, and, you know, to it's sort of... It's, it's great to go alongside the website. Didn't know it existed. So, cool. and you said it's very popular. Is that right? Yeah, it has been. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. We've, we've already it, um, reordered it. So. But it's weird. It's one of those things where suddenly you start talking about the modern house to someone, and then they they've heard just heard of it, and then they tell someone, and suddenly it's just mm-hmm. you know these things sort of grow so organically, but quite quickly as well. I think that subject of kind of modernist architecture and the popularity of has just grown mm. exponentially. Yeah. I think they've been around maybe about 10 years. Right, yeah. And again, they've seen that growth. But now I hear about it all the yeah, time. It's yeah, sort of people yeah. sort of like, I don't know, my age, or, you know, so suddenly it's sort of, you know, it's becoming sort of popular among my friends, which it wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago, mm-hmm. for example. And also we're spending a lot more time in our houses, aren't we? So... Well, in our houses and also looking at other people's yeah. houses yeah. on Zoom. I mean, aren't you? Yeah. Your bookshelves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. obsessed yeah. with that home edit programme, mm-hmm. that Reese Weatherspoon's home edit programme now. 
Storage. I don't know. Suddenly, <laughs> I'm age. I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. With the problem we all have, storage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we're Everyone around this table. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, then interview. Okay. Magazine. Quick snippet yeah. again, because as I said, I didn't have much time to, to just you know. I was after I got over the anxiety trauma. I, Anyway, interview, it's lovely to see it go back to its kind of very early yeah. format, this yeah. kind of, you know, the quality of their paper, the Richard Bernstein mm -hmm. font, which he actually designed, and his kind of covers. Obviously, the covers are not so beautifully illustrated as he used to do, but they're, they're pretty close. This one's got Lana Del Rey on the front with her kind of diamond-encrusted face mask, and I just zoned in on a nice back page, got a second thoughts from Lenny Kravitz. One here, obviously, race so topical at the moment, and it says here... Do you consider yourself black? Yeah, but your dad is white. Yes, but society says that's what I am. I mean, me personally, I'm just as white as I am black and I'm just as Russian Jew as I am West Indian, but I'm black, you know. <laughs> I like the racial mix there of Lenny Kravitz. So yeah, that's that. I didn't get to read much more of it, unfortunately. And shall I just do my quickly my final one? Yeah. Was yeah. The Believer, which is such a good magazine. I will say, I know it's kind of back to me as to an I use in our lingo, everyday lingo, but... This magazine gave me such a good idea once. It was a guy called Richard Cohen, and uh, he's still alive, I'm sure. He, he's a fantastic journalist, and he did this piece about the whole genesis of the song My Way by Paul Anko and how that song travelled to Sid Vicious and everyone who sort of covered that song. And I actually ended up making a documentary about it on the strength of that guy's article. Uh -huh. It was the most unbelievable article. And in this, the survival issue, um, in the editorial, it talks about, you know, we've got to have compassion for others. Very true. Is everyone remembering that in this COVID climate? And one piece that, again, just quickly caught my eye was this really bizarre thing. Again, race-related. A Denzel Washington filmography of character. Now, basically, I don't know if you remember, but I think it was like last May, this clip went round before that horrific killing of George Floyd. There was this clip of Denzel Washington having this dispute with a cop, and it like went online, and basically mm -hmm. it was clear that the cops and the man all recognised and trust, uh, trusted Denzel. But this really cool little article, it's kind of infographic all his films and keyed them in colour. So, like, white is monsters, the cynics, as mentors, as angels. It's kind of gone through all his filmography, <laughs> and it kind of reads like that incident when he was, like, you know, calming that man who, as I say, was in that viral clip. So, beautiful magazine, lovely illustrations always, great editorials, little comic strips here. Love The Believer. Long may all these magazines live. I believe is a particularly yeah. well-put-together piece of editorial. Mm. I think. Nick Hornby used to write for it a lot. I don't yeah, know if he still uh -huh. does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting you pick up on on, um, on that sort of compassion side of things. Mm. I don't want to dwell too much on pandemic and, and COVID, but we can't ignore it at the moment. And, and, and it feels like all the news and everything, it's all getting a bit kind of angsty and bitter. And, and, and Whereas earlier in, in the whole thing, everyone was a bit more kind of relaxed, just thinking, yeah, we're going to do the right thing. We all know what the right thing is. We can follow this. Break um, away from your screens pick up a magazine mm. and just get away from that, you know, anxiety. Well, on, on, well, on that, but I, I wanted to mention uh, this large format magazine, which is actually being distributed free. Uh, we have copies here in the shop, but it's a free magazine. So if you, if, if you, if you swing by and buy something, you can pick up a free copy mm. of Post, mm. which has been created by um, a whole group of people that live in uh, sort of northeast London, uh, led by Simon Esterson, the uh, well-known art director of I magazine, amongst mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, along with Melanie Muse, who's another uh, designer and art director. They both um, uh, live out Dalston Way. But they just took it upon themselves to create this magazine, which is all about real people dealing with the COVID crisis the uh, earlier on. And yeah. just interviews with yeah. and stunning photographs from um, the likes of uh, Olivia Arthur and Peter Gwenzel. Mm. And it's fantastic. Mm. The large format. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's the it's, it's, it's the people making it have yeah. compa- compassion for the people that are in it, and it just tells real stories about people of how people have been affected and how they've coped. Did you want to talk about what? Yeah, one well, of the I, should, we well, I was just to... going to mention maybe Racket magazine uh-huh. because oh, yeah. yeah, no, this is just a nice story. It's a nice high mag story, but um, uh, David Shaffel mm-hmm. came to the archive. Well, yeah. no. We rewind, rewind, yeah. Um, there's a magazine called Why You Were Sleeping, and I was just sort of I took a, an Instagram. And there was a quirky little photograph of this muscle man mm-hmm. um, who was I think he was one of the sort of ambassadors or something of Why You See. And these and it was just a it was a great photo, and I put it on our Instagram and added as we tried to do as much as possible the photographer, the art director, and mm-hmm. and actually it was David kind of just responded immediately, and suddenly there was this great sort of. Community, community dialogue. yeah, dialogue going on in our Instagram. That's David from Racket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then he was like, "Well, I'm actually in the UK next week. Can I come and visit?" He came and visited, and then um, we we got on. And then he said, "Actually, I've just pitched it to the New York Times. Um, they love it. They want to run with the story. It's I'm going to interview you next week." And then it was out pretty much the week after that. And 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 from that, we had such a great response. It was an amazing moment for Hymax. Mm-hmm. So I, I so. Um, so I sort of picked this mag, and it's one of those again, one of those magazines that I wouldn't normally buy. But um, you you're not a tennis fan. Uh, well, I'm not not a tennis fan, but um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily buy it. But as soon as you pick it up and you read, you know, so it's it's so well put together. And then you have, you know, there's a whole sort of piece on murder mystery novels that are, that all have sort of tennis imagery or, or content mm-hmm. you know either on the yeah. cover or in the, as part of the story so sudden death um, yeah, match point for murder and, it, and you know it just again it's just one of those things where you take a subject and you you drilled through it, and actually you can. There's amazing parts of that, whether it be the design or uh, the subculture or anything that goes with it. And I think David does it so well. So it's like get, it superb, it's yeah. great to get an opportunity to sit I down. I think and the, look the, at the it measure of a, of a great magazine like that is is that it, you don't have to love tennis to get exactly engaged it. exactly. I mean, the cover is beautiful. Yeah. It's so well put together, and you know you don't yeah. Always say it like the New Yorker too. If they, mm-hmm. if they can enthrall you in a piece that you think is incredible. A piece about apples, stink flies. Mm. This, is, this is exactly the same. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, we should turn to the magazine archive now. We talk, we've crossed on collecting. We've talked about how, you know, people do collect magazines. I collect magazines. I like to think I've got a, a, a big collection. But where are you now, James? What, how many magazines are in the archive? Well, it, it got into the Guinness Book of Records in 2012 with around about 55,000. Mm-hmm. We're triple that now, at least. We're probably over about 150, 155,000. We get so many donations daily, which is much appreciated. It's a blessing and a curse because we have to pay for the storage on them all. So we've got to be very careful about what, what we take on board. But yeah. I know from the shop just how hard it is lifting and moving and unpacking. And that's, you know, a relatively small number. But just to give for our, for our listeners sort of imaginations just visualize how much space 150,000 magazines takes up if you could imagine a long shelf that ran about 1500 meters of just yeah. magazines lined up yeah you know and, it's huge. and you say you're getting new contributions every day donations pretty much on a daily basis which is like a blessing and a curse because we have to pay for everything we store. Do you pay by the meter? By the shelf. <laughs> by the shelf. <laughs> so yeah, and that's a lot of money. And again, don't want to sound ungrateful, love it, but we've got to be very, very careful about what donations, uh-huh. you know, we take on board. So on that, what, what, what 
I mean, at one level, presumably, you would just want to have everything that's ever been made. But at mm. another level, there must be a line. I've changed my mind. You can never have everything. And hence the anxiety when I come here. There's so much you <laughs> have that I'm like, whoa. I just think we want to have so much incredible stuff that is ultimately digitized, online, accessible for everyone to access, like a, obviously to pay for it, we can't do this for free, like a Spotify for the history of magazines, past, present, and future. Because, you know, I'm not saying the physical is not important. The physical is. We need the physical. And Tori can totally explain again. You, I mean, you, you explain why you think the physical marries well with the digital. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been, always felt like they complement each other perfectly. I mean, we're obsessed with both the physical mm. and the, I guess, the potential of the digital. Um, with the physical, I mean, again, it's the aura of the mat that the magazines have in their physical form and that, you know, that you don't get when you digitise them. So we are absolutely obsessed with preserving as much of that as possible. But in terms of, you know, looking at the commercial side of the business, obviously the only way for us to ever make any money would be by digitising the content. So, you know, we... And again, when we're going back to James talking about the donations, it's not even just the donations. Sometimes it's the stories that go alongside them mm. and the fact that, you know, that I remember a really early donation that came in was it was the son of one of the original editors of the um, NME when, and he bought us sort of just, remember they no, literally the just, 40s, it was, uh -huh, but when uh, it was, right when from, it was yeah. the Accordion Times and the Musical Express, you know, and, and it had his name at the top and, you know, there was so much history in the mm. fact that it, that donation came from him and they'd been stored, mm -hmm. you know, exactly how they'd been, you know, they, they were enemies that, that hadn't, that even the enemy didn't have yeah. or the we British the Library one. didn't have. So, you know, it's case by case always. always. Um, but the stories of people who've yeah. made the magazines, collected them, all of that is also really important to everything that we, we're trying to preserve. Because, yeah, and, we also have things and, like Colin McDowell's archive. Yeah. Uh, he's he's, okay. he's loaned yeah. us his archive. A lot of Felix Dennis's publishing yeah. house. He gave us tons of his collection and it is it's those stories it will it can be somebody random he said my dad was photographer for life magazine and he's had mm -hmm. all these in his attic and you know they are so precious and you've got to preserve them and, and, and then as well as that there must be so much more so sort of, just sort of uh I don't know, 10 issues of the face and then you're trying to find the 11th one and filling holes tons of that, and filling tons gaps. Of so it was getting, slowly we're getting a bit of a high mag remit and I think that's uh -huh. what I'm saying. So, so some of the times it's like, it depends where that donation comes from and if it has any kind of, you know, sort of accompanying material that also sort of looks at, like, I don't know, for example, whether it's got letters from the editor. Like we mm -hmm. had, we had a, a, a Barbie Bus, who was the editor of Women's Magazine, um, we after she died, um, her ex um, the executor of her will thought that we were the best place to um, look after her collection, not only of the magazines but also all the letters that she'd got from you know readers and uh, like little kind of scrapbooks she'd made. So suddenly we think, well, that's a really important thing to look after. Um, but then, yeah, we don't need ten issues of. National Geographic. Or triples or, of Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, immediately. Because, so uh, so there'll be some magazines which are, you know, maybe Q is a good example, which a lot of people would have collected that and yeah. have a complete set. What's the point of having five where, sets? Well, yeah. So, but occasionally, occasionally, there is a rule. We like to sometimes have doubles of stuff because, yeah. again, yeah. it could be a precious collection of Vogue's. We've got yeah. an amazing right. run of Vogue's. And, and because we get research requests for Vogue. Okay. So it's worth us having a very organised, accessible du duplicate 
uh, collection, right. which we do. So have. I was going to ask about organisation. So uh, on a daily basis, you're getting stuff turning up, and and it's all alphabetical, right? Or is it is it by... alphabetical and chronological? So eighty thousand yeah. of the magazines are, I are, exist in a library. You know, as in they are alphabetical and chronological, and then we have. <laughs> Some piles. A, a lot of area. Because they're neat. It's <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Alexia knows where everything Alexia, is. Yeah, that's what I, uh, that's she, my answer to everything. Alexia knows. knows where it is. Uh, and she's the third, the third yeah. member of the team. Yeah, so there's three of you yeah. responsible for this. Yeah. Are, you, are you working full time on it, or are you involved in other things? How's, I mean, is it? A... I, I do a lot of music licensing mm -hmm. to pay some bills for like ITV and programs and films and stuff, and Tori does other stuff. But we are just dragged into this mm -hmm. this mission. Mm -hmm. It's very hard, you know. I think when you you know you got to you're all or nothing kind of it. So yeah, yeah. you know. And, and so in that respect, it's like a lot of the magazines that we champion here. To a degree, it's been a labour of love up to date. It's been an absolute project of passion that mm -hmm. you you want to see through. And you clearly from, you know, I've been down there and seen the the, 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 the shelves. I couldn't quite take in the scale of it. But but I know that I can see, you know, that's where I'm talking about the piles and the books. I mean, the boxes and the... Mm. It's a complicated thing. But I mean, I mean, presumably you could just spend your whole time filing. Yeah, but. you could spend if, if money wasn't an issue, like here. I could just live, read, mm -hmm. and sort and tidy. Yeah, yeah, and digest a hundred percent. Like anything, I think anything mm -hmm. is your passion. If you, yeah, don't, yeah. you know, you if you if you love tennis, going back to racket, you, you know, want to play tennis all day long, do it. So to a large degree, I mean, that's your passion, and that and that's taken you to a certain degree. But now you, it's you're, you're wanting to get a bit more serious yeah, about it. And yeah. so, what's the next step? You've got this crowdfunding campaign going. We have this crowdfunding going, and it is crucial. I mean, we do not want to be ungrateful. Lots of people have donated already, and very, very thankful for everyone. It's amazing, like some people who are donating. We had Tracy Emin donate the other day, just out of nowhere. So mm -hmm. every single one who's donated to it. But, you know, for us, it's so important to hit our target, because if we hit that target, we can then move to carry on digitizing. We've already digitized the whole of The Face magazine. And as I say, the mission is to be able to offer you know, in a nutshell, a Spotify for magazines. So people using amazing analytical tools as well to not just read any page, but to say, well, you know, like, I want to see how tennis relates to David Bowie or, or the Pet Shop Boys or how that design evolved or how that designer, that photographer, that, that, that outfit, the shoe, the trainer, the history of objects through magazines. So, so it's, it's not just searching for uh, the Pet Shop Boys interviews. It's searching no. for some very specific. So, the it, origin as well of as Burberry. digitizing, you'll, yeah. be, you'll be tagging stuff and heavy tagging. Yeah, yeah. So, literally, you know, it essentially becomes a set of data mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you can then, you know, mine and and then it can sort of transform into actually stuff that's valuable for brands or. Um, Students, marketing yeah. yeah marketing companies and you know education is really important to us because again i think that a lot of people feel with the archive oh it's only older people that are interested in this the people that you know were part of the kind of golden era of magazines and what we find actually the people that are well i mean everyone seems that visits is pretty passionate about magazines but what we love is when we see the younger generation the youngest generation come and really become enthralled by what they see and really inspired by this content and and it's really it's kind of magical to see and we know that it's really important for education 
um, for the future. You know, yeah. everything's becoming more kind of pop culture based mm -hmm. and suddenly it's becoming that's pop culture is not becoming more highbrow but it's becoming more accepted in the kind well, you of do, you, do a PhD you, know, on, you do a PhD yeah, on Britpop yeah. you do a PhD on Richard Bernstein and, you do anything on interview and magazine I, yeah, yeah. and you I think what people, well it's just central isn't it yeah, just, yeah and yeah. I, I think what people it, what's also not just the scale of when you visit the archive what's hard to sort of understand is that oh my god how, there's so many magazines here it's a complete spectacle but actually those magazines it took 35 years to bring them all together you know over you know hundreds of people donating um, and then the Edda Tasiemka archive which is 6 million press cuttings which is and Colin McDowell's archive Felix Dennis it's, it's so unique and it's so irreplaceable that it, I think that what people don't realise that if it was to be taken apart or to disappear or essentially destroyed, dismantled by the fact that we don't raise these funds, it will be incredible. It's just, I think it would be just awful for, you know, education, you know, as for the future, because all of this stuff is in one place. It took James, you know, 35 years to collect it and us 10 years of building a brand sorting and it, yeah. sorting it. It's not one of those things. It's not an everyday occurrence. It's an amazing opportunity. And it's I think people don't realise that. And it's really hard getting that bit across, not just the scale, but the fact that, you know, it's like... Mi you know, millions and millions of pages of documents, of images mm -hmm. and history. That's, and what's really interesting is that uh, just a sort of like, it's a, a tiny bit is on the internet. A tiny, tiny, tiny bit is in this echo chamber mm -hmm. of the internet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at black history, uh, like women in sport, you know, there's so much that is in the archive that the internet doesn't even have access to, doesn't have no one's, you know. And if it was all to go, then then that history again is lost. I want to take you back to what you were saying, James, about the Design Museum exhibition, mm. where they they were using magazines in the exhibition mm. to contextualise mm. This is what I say a lot. Electronic mm. music. Narratives are used. Pink Floyd, they used uh, magazines to narrate it. Went to that designing, yes. uh, California designing freedom. Half that exhibition was magazine mm -hmm. exhibits. Brilliant stuff mm. in there. Black Panther zines. We loaned them actually for that exhibition. Ray Gun mm -hmm. issue, November 1994, that had an article written in Dingbats because yes. I think yeah, it was yeah. David <laughs> Carson found the interview boring with Brian yeah. Ferry. But... Yeah, those are they're objects that um, contextualise. And you've said this before yourself in in many interviews when we've had discussions about you know they are. I think magazines are the most enduring mm. format mm. Um, for capturing the zeitgeist and what's going on. Video's great, radio's great, audio, but the whole context, the whole peripheral of mm. of that, it's exactly what Jason Gonzalez says from the Face magazine. Every magazine is a crystallised moment in time. Well, it's mediated, isn't it? Everything yeah. about it has been considered. I mean, even now as we're doing this podcast, it's effectively radio and it's just we're doing it on the fly and recording it and it'll exist, but no one's really paying attention to the, everything else about it other than what mm. we're, it's just us talking. Whereas in a magazine, you've got talking, it's been edited, it's been laid out on the yeah. page, the photographs Thought. have been added. Mm. The photograph wasn't good enough, they tore it up, they put an illustration in, they got it right, they went back to someone else, someone else rewrote the headline, it came back and, and you end up with this kind of amalgamation of different people's input that mm. makes it something above and beyond the individual's concern. Absolutely. Spot on. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I find it amazing increasingly that you do see... I, mean, I, I went to the Pink Floyd show at the B&A. I was going to say with the phone boxes, yeah. The phone boxes yeah. full of all the magazines from the time. Mm. And, and in one sense, it's a really small part of it, but in another sense, it just... It's the thread, it's it, the narrative it, yeah, thread. Yeah, it, 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 
yeah, draws the story through. So really want to stress that crowdfunder, really. Anyone listening to this, I mean, again, any philanthropists out there, tech entrepreneurs, people who understand that digitizing the history of magazines will basically be such an invaluable resource for future generations. And, you know, there is an incredible amount of, there is money out there to do this. This is not gazillions or billions. It is maybe several million to really do this justice. But what an incredible, you know, asset that would be for the world to have all this content digital. And we would keep the physical. We're not going to destroy the physical stuff. But to have this content there for, as I say, the brands, the advertisers, the students, the journalists, the designers, the photographers, I rest my case. So to cut the chase, where do people go to support you? Go to crowdfunder site and type in HiMag or just go to HiMag.com. Mm-hmm. There is the crowdfunder. Please, please donate what you can. There's lovely books to buy, T-shirts, mm-hmm. tote bags, really good goodies. Or if you really feel the love and you don't want to burden yourself with anything physical because you may not have space or you just want to show pure altruistic love, just please crowdfund a high map to just keep this project alive. Uh, and I would just add, I mean, you know, our line at my, at my culture is that we love magazines and we're always heralding the new and supporting the new. But I think it's really, really important that everything that happens now is seen in the context that everything has happened before, mm-hmm. which is why I've always been a huge supporter of the archive and all power to you. Everybody listening, please support. However, however little you can give, let's get some money into this and make sure that it survives. Huge thanks again to James and Tori for joining us and sharing that project. Crowdfunding is also a favourite way for new publishers to raise money to launch magazines, and one of the most popular platforms for this is Kickstarter. I spoke to Oriana Leckart, who looks after publishing at the company, about how they support magazines and how well-suited Kickstarter is to supporting them. Oriane, thanks for joining us from Brooklyn. Um, How's it going out there? Uh, It's going fairly well, actually. We're having a really nice extended fall, and it's nice to see friends outside and before it's going to be too late to do that. Sure, sure. Now, um, you're working with Kickstarter and most people listening probably have a sense, I mean, the name itself says a lot about what the, what, what, what the, uh, the company does, but h- highlight its main role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, in the simplest terms, Kickstarter is an online platform used to bring creative projects to life. Uh, It's a little different than other crowdfunding sites. Kickstarter is only for creative work, so you can't use it to fund medical expenses. Uh, I guess that's a a United States-specific thing. You guys don't have that out there uh, in the smarter land. But um, you can't use Kickstarter for that. You can't use it for charitable donations or investments. Um, It's only to bring creative projects to life. And this dovetails really nicely with Kickstarter being a public benefit corporation, which Mm -hmm. is an official business framework that requires the company to consider the impact of what we do on society as a whole, not just our shareholders. So we can't ever be coerced to make decisions in service only of money or stocks or something if it would undermine um, our mission, which is supporting and nurturing uh, creative people and creative work. And and I'm aware aware there's all sorts of projects end up getting funded uh, through Kickstarter and um, but uh, but it's particularly uh, relevant here in terms of the number of magazines um, that, that 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 use the platform, uh, and, yeah. and you're you're responsible uh, for those magazines. Yeah, so I work on the outreach team, which is uh-huh. we're sort of one of the few 
uh, analog teams in a tech company. It's my job to be kind of out in the world of publishing comics and journalism, helping people figure out if Kickstarter makes sense for them, and then helping to set folks up for campaigns if they decide to use it. I do work with a lot of magazine creators, and we found these projects are really well suited to Kickstarter's funding model. In fact, since 2010, when the company launched, mm-hmm. more than $10 million have been pledged to magazines, wow. periodicals, and zines on our platform. Great, great. Well, so, um, you, you, you guessed my, what I, my next question was going to be. So $10 million, that's, that's a lot of money towards magazines. And do, do you have a sense of, I mean, is there a sort of average cost for magazines or do they vary enormously? Yeah, it's pretty a pretty wide swing because there's so many different things that you can do and call it a magazine. We do everything from little small, you know, poetry chapbooks and all kinds of zines up through, you know, literary magazines and uh, niche sort of publications up to like huge periodicals mm-hmm. um, done by, you know, sort of major uh, creative companies. So there's a really broad swing, anything from a few hundred to hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds you mentioned um kickstarter is ideal for for helping to launch and fund magazines what 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 is particularly so what, what why are the two so suited Yeah, so Kickstarter is really built for project-based fixed funding. So Mm -hmm. what works the best, um, you know, what's the most natural fit is bringing a single discrete project to life. And magazines fit really neatly into that model. You can fund a single issue, you can fund a season, you can fund a year, you can fund a launch, a best of print anthology for an online magazine, a themed compendium or a special issue for a print periodical. You know, magazines also tend to be really visually appealing. They have sort of a niche dedicated following. Um, And also having an array of contributors to a creative project can be extremely helpful um, because that's so many more people getting the word out, sharing stories and um, spreading the word about the campaign. So all Mm -hmm. of these things are really key ingredients um, to a successful crowdfund. And and that kind of community aspect, I think, is really key because magazines are great community builders. And in a sense, something like Kickstarter is is, is, you're trying to build a group of uh, like-minded people that want to support this project. Yeah, totally. I mean, everybody thinks about the funding aspect of crowdfunding, but not everyone considers the crowd. It's really the best, you know, the most exciting thing about it is that you get to gather and excite your crowd to help you fund Mm -hmm. and bring your creative project to life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what I took away. I I ran a Kickstarter for a magazine project a few years back with with a colleague. And the thing that struck me about it was that it, was, it, it made you focus on your project and plan it in a way that it might not have done before launch. Mm-hmm. You have to get your marketing in line, you have to sort of really conceive of it and start selling it before you've even made it. And that's a really useful kind of um, focusing tool. Yeah, it helps you understand your own project better and how to talk about it, what aspects of it are the most compelling and exciting. Um, yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's great to help sort of self-actualize this this project that you're doing and spread the word and, and bring people into your creative journey with making it. We were talking earlier before we, we, uh, we went live with this about some of the uh, some great recent examples of magazines that have managed to hit their target via Kickstarter. Do you want to, do you want to just sort of tell us a few of those to give a sense of the scale and the variation? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, so the first one I'll mention, uh, which was just, I think, a, a few months ago this summer, is called Ink Magazine, which is the launch of a new annual literary magazine with a pretty high-profile um, yeah. masthead and also really high-profile contributors, folks like Joyce Carol Oates and Rebecca Miller and... Uh, Ocean Vuong, Tom Waits. So a really, um, and they're they're viewing this as a, a sort of fixed project. They're going to publish one issue per year for 10 years. So it's got a beginning and an end. Um, they mm-hmm. raised 178,000 pounds, which is pretty incredible yeah. <laughs> these days yeah. for any campaign in the creative world, let alone, you know, a print periodical. I mean, from our, our perspective, the creative director on that magazine is Matt Willey, who's a who's a friend of ours, he's spoken at a conference and such like, and um, he, I, I know, uh, talking to him about this project, he, he, he found an, uh, an amazing process seeing the curve sort of gradually reach its target. Uh, yeah. and, it, uh, and, and they got there, and that's, but that's right at the top end, right? That's, that's, you know, not everyone's going for that type of money. Yeah, yeah, so in fact, the next one I was going to bring up is this very sweet, I, I don't want anybody listening to think that you have to have, you know, Joyce Carol Oates on your masthead and a target of 150,000 pounds to run a Kickstarter campaign for a magazine project. We see lots of um, small, sweet, niche projects. There was one also just a couple of months ago called Hamam, which is a quarterly print publication dedicated to the art and culture of bathing out mm-hmm. of California, I think focused on on Turkish baths. So, you know, they raised $6,000 above their $5,000 goal, which is eminently achievable. They're going to make a beautiful, uh, beautiful magazine full of really stunning photos of bathing and baths. They already have. It's on sale now and it's, it's gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah, incredible. And then the third example I wanted to bring up, um, Lightspeed magazine, which is a, a regular publication has done several special themed issues. Um, the most recent one is called People of Color Destroy Science Fiction. And that's sort of a, you know, it's a, a tongue in cheek reference to uh, all of the folks who think that science fiction should be the domain of white men primarily <clears throat> and who get very prickly when queer people and women and people of color um, start to find their way in. So the this issue, they, the Lightspeed previously did women destroy science fiction and queers destroy science fiction. Uh-huh. And the people of color issue, of course, was, you know, written and edited all by people of color. And, you know, it collected all sorts of science fiction and fantasy stories, specifically, you know, both by, about, and centering people of color. Um, cool. And so that's a really exciting thing because you get to, you know, draw from, Lightspeed's got an existing, um, a huge audience, of course, already. And so they get to open their audience to new kinds of things. They get to pick and choose. I think they took some stories from their archives as well as new stories to collate. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the idea of an anthology project, you know, uh, so much about crowdfunding is getting the word out about the campaign. And so if you've got one creative or three creatives doing it, that's three people who can you know, leverage their own networks. But if you've got dozens of contributors, each of whom is invested in seeing the project succeed, that can exponentially increase the potential yeah. reach that your project Absolutely. will have. And, and what I like about that example is it highlights another function that Kickstarter has, and that is it introduces you to something that maybe you didn't know. Because uh, yeah. of those three, I mean, I, I uh, knew and supported uh, Inc. 
uh, I found out about uh, her mum and then discovered retrospectively that it was on Kickstarter. But uh, the third project there, I, I had never heard of, and that is another, you know, it, it, there is a sort of basic marketing aspect of a Kickstarter above and beyond the crowdfunding itself. Yeah, it's really exciting to, you know, I mean, I get to every single day scroll through everything that's launching uh, and see all of these wild, cool, exciting new <laughs> projects. There, uh, here's, I'll do a little teaser. Um, I won't say more than this about it, but somebody, uh, someone is going to be making a magazine dedicated to mermaids coming soon um so you know like who would have thought but but of course this cursed year of 2020 could really use uh, a joyful whimsical mm-hmm. print publication you know of, of that nature and so Absolutely. it's so exciting seeing all sorts of creative things like that coming through finally oriana some tips i mean you know there are certain things there's a lot of information online about this, but what, what, what are the key things in terms of making your magazine come to life on the Kickstarter platform when you start uh, a campaign? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, the, the most basic building blocks of a Kickstarter campaign, uh, you'll make a video. The video does not need to be some crazy Hollywood-level, high-production-value endeavor. It can be, you know, a person looking at a camera. It can be a montage of, you know spreads from your magazine, art that you'll include, things like that. A video is not hard and fast required, but we do tend to see higher engagement on projects that have a video. So you'll start with a video. The next piece is the story. Tell the story of your project, what you're doing and why. I always encourage people to have, um, you know, uh, a short two to three sentence, kind of like a nut graph from the journalism world at the beginning, just in case uh, the folks coming to your campaign don't have Mm -hmm. the patience because their internet adult brains can't get them to read all the way down the page. You want to make sure that they know what you're doing right up top. Fill your campaign with plenty of images so that people, you know, will be drawn down the page. So a video, a story, rewards, which I think is one of the central elements of the Kickstarter proposition. Um, You know, with this kind of fundraising, you're, you're not you're not just asking people to give you charity. You're not suggesting that they invest with some kind of expectation of financial return. You're inviting them to join you on a creative journey. And the rewards are, I think, the, a beautiful way to draw people into that journey. So, you know, of course, a magazine campaign will be focused on issues or subscriptions or that sort of thing. But there are plenty of other ways that you can bring people into the world of what you're doing. Uh, you can convene a panel to vote on a cover image. You can, you know, share outtakes of, of your creative process. You know, um, there's all kinds of, of really lovely ways. You could make a custom playlist that people can listen to while reading your magazine, you know, all sorts of things that that you can do there um, that don't require a lot of extra effort or time or money to create. And then you need to think about your promotion. You know, how will you let, how will you, as I said earlier, assemble your crowd? So, you know, the very basics of that, you're going to email everyone you know and let them know about this wonderful thing that you're inviting them to join. You're going to have some kind of social media strategy depending on what platforms you're best at and, you know, how you'd like to use them. Think about what will you say over the approximately 30 days of the campaign that's different than, 
hey, can you give us some money every single day? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, you'll think about if you can get press, if there are podcasts like this one that, you know, you know friends who run that might bring you on, if there are other magazine makers who might be able to share what you're doing. And then finally, you'll think about your signal boosters. You know, who do you know who's got not necessarily a bigger, but an adjacent network, you know, an Mm -hmm. audience that's, you know, just outside of the one that you've got and, and how can they help spread the word about what you're doing? So that's, you know, the super, super basics. I will, I will say like a big part of my job is helping people figure this out. So folks can always feel free to email me directly. It's Oriana, O-R-I-A-N-A at kickstarter.com. And I'd be super happy to help you out. Cool. Well, thank you for that. The, 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 one, the one thing that I'd add uh, from a personal basis to, to the, uh, any kind of campaign uh, rewards options is, and I've seen this happen with a few magazines, is, is that they'll offer a retailer's package. Uh, so they'll get, you know, for instance, we, we have a shop here and um, they, they will put an offer for 10 copies of the magazine so that we can stock it in the shop and they'll give us a retail rate. Uh, and that's a good way of getting the numbers up in terms of the quantities of magazines. And of course, the more magazines you get ordered and printed, the cheaper each each unit cost, uh, each unit price comes down. Absolutely. And having a retail tier also encourages you and gives you a reason to reach out to retailers, yes, which exactly. is not maybe someone who you would have you know, otherwise been talking to during the course of your campaign. Yeah, that's a terrific thing to do. Cool. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining us and, and giving us... Uh, uh, an opening into into how it all works. I know, you know, Kickstarter is already a phenomenally um, popular uh, platform for, for 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 our audience, but that's um, will have helped in itself. But also great that you're available uh, for communication. So we'll um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll highlight that uh, alongside this uh, on the post. But thank you very much for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a delight. Cool. Speak soon. All the best. Okay. Bye bye. Ciao. Thanks, Oriana, for joining us. Um, I'll be back in a moment with this episode's back issue. London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. As well as helping you achieve the highest creative standards, Park are fully committed to helping you produce your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Check their website for details. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast as well as MagCulture Live. Welcome back. As ever, we close the podcast with a back issue from our archive. This episode I've picked out Nest, published between 1997 and 2004 by magazine newcomer Joseph Holtzman. He produced 26 issues in all, celebrating real interiors, which were in direct contrast to the super-clean modernism of wallpaper, then an ambitious new launch itself. A typical Nest subject was the cover story from issue one. Raymond Donahue's attic walls and ceilings were papered in black and white copies of magazine covers featuring Farrah Fawcett. Uh, The story unfolded inside to the cushions and furniture and posters that he collected around his favourite TV star. Readers were as likely to be presented with Andy Warhol's bedroom as they were a report from a Russian orphanage, shown inside an eccentric Upper East New York apartment or hear about living in an igloo. The stories were anything but what you expected from the typical interiors magazines. But the other essential part of Nest was its physical appearance. The design and finishing reflected its content. There was barely an inch of blank white space, and from the start, each issue used special effects. 
Page edges were cut to a wavy pattern on issue 5 and diagonally for issue 9. 5 millimeter holes were punched through entire issues, scratch and sniff effects added, textile wraps used to close the issue. As I wrote on the journal a while back, Nest was a kind of proto-indie, a precursor of so much we take for granted today in the indie scene. And at our 2018 New York conference, speakers from both Apartamento and MacGuffin referred directly to it as inspiration. So I'm highlighting it this episode as our back issue, but it also that leads us into uh, the news that there's a, a, a book about Nest being released shortly. It's a vast volume from Fiden, which has been designed by Todd Oldham. Uh, it's a hardback book, um, and it promises 16 pages reproduced from each issue of the magazine, using all the fold-outs and additional effects from the original magazines. I can't wait to see that. Finally then, details of our upcoming MagCulture Live conference. We can't run it live thanks to COVID, so instead we've spread the day across two three-hour sessions online. The first will take place on Wednesday the 18th of November and is themed Activist. Speakers include Stephen Heller on the history of activism in magazines, Alice Grandoit from Deem Journal, a magazine promoting diversity in design. We'll also hear from Carl Henkel of Record Journal and Terry White, the award-winning editor of movie magazine Empire. Plus, Rick Poyner will be talking about the bold graphic language of David King. That's day one. Day two, the next day, uh, concerns analogue. Uh, so on Thursday, the 19th of November, you can join us and we'll hear from art directors, including Kurt Wapol of Interview Magazine, which we heard about earlier, the courtesy of James. Um, Chloe Sheffey from here, the three strong editorial team behind the Skirt Chronicles, and Jack Self, founder of Real Review, will discuss the face illustrations used on their 10 front covers to date. Plus, Oliver Monday from The Atlantic will share their brilliant re redesign. And Rose Norden will discuss the Rabbit Road Press open access printing workshops that she and, and her colleagues run. There are more speakers to be confirmed, but tickets are now on sale via Eventbrite. You can buy a ticket to one session or both. So please join us. So that's it for this episode. Thank you again to all our guests. Thank you, James and Tori. Thank you, Oriana. Thank you to Park Communications for their support. And thank you to you for listening. See you soon. Mm -hmm.